Hi, I'm Heather Yang. I'm a podcaster, entrepreneur, consultant, and a parent at the primary day school in the suburb of Washington, D.C. In this podcast, you will hear the insight about primary day school from the head of school, teachers, students, and parents to discuss PDS value, belief, diversity, and inclusion, not just academic, but also our life. Welcome to the Beacon Voices, a podcast for primary day school. Today, in the parent education, we have invited Alison Kwan to discuss about striving to raise an emotionally intelligent child on May 3rd, 2023. Well, I'll do a quick, I'm going to do a PowerPoint presentation as well as just a very open Q&A format. So if things come up along the way, please don't hesitate to um, raise your hand, ask me questions as we go. Um, so as Neil was saying, emotional intelligence, I might be biased as a therapist, but it's super important um, because it really is, all, it, it feeds into everything that our kids do. And we as parents have a tendency to, um, sorry. So we teach our kids academics all the time, um, but one of the things that we don't do is talk about emotional regulation. And kids have these big emotions, and we as parents oftentimes are in positions where we ourselves are flooded or just don't know what to do with their feelings. So hopefully you'll walk away from this presentation feeling a little sense of, okay, I know, I know a little bit about what to do, how to handle it, maybe I'll um, try things different. I say all the time the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So hopefully today you can walk away and maybe try something new and hope for a different outcome. Um, so. I'm hoping at the end of this, you'll be able to walk away with a concrete plan and some strategies. Um, please, again, don't hesitate to raise your hand if you have any questions. Um, I know for myself, it, again, might be because I am a therapist, but I'm a little bit terrified of the teenage years. Um, we know that they are going to have these highly emotional situations and very difficult friend dynamics, and then, you know, add a little bit of social media and forget about it. So, you know, as a pre-K through second grade is a really great time to start to kind of build that foundation where we can help our kids be able to regulate and deal with some of these things. So then when they do transition to the next stage, they have a better skill set as to how to handle these things. Um, okay. Okay. So the first thing we're gonna, I'm going to start with is what is emotional intelligence? I say this word often and I, I realize that a lot of people don't even know what that means, and that's okay. Uh, so emotional intelligence is the ability to understand, use, and manage your own emotions in a positive way to relieve stress, communicate effectively, empathize with others, overcome challenges, and diffuse conflict. So, you know, I don't know about you guys, but if my child was able to handle big feelings, navigate complicated situations using problem solving, handle situations with friends in school in an effective way, and express themselves, I'd be pretty happy about it. Um, so that's the goal. Um, this is not about creating a path without any challenges. They're going to have big emotions. They're going to have situations, whether it's a conflict with their friend or a teacher. And really what we're trying to do is give them the skill set to handle it, versus being the parent that is always making the phone call to the teachers and dealing with why is my child fighting with this kid or you know, not having this 
access to this at recess or calling parents and um, trying to navigate peer conflict within parents. So, um, okay, so these are the five skills that in an ideal world, if we can help teach our kids, we really are setting them up for success. So the first step is self-awareness, our first skill. Um, self-awareness is you know, one's ability to recognize your own strengths, having your child be able to recognize their feelings and the things that they do well and the things that they don't do well and how they interact and how they impact the world around them. Self-regulation, um, we'll talk a lot about that. That's a very difficult thing for kids to do and we can talk about why, but it's identifying their emotions and then regulating, calming themselves down, which cal saying calm down is like one of the worst things you can say to someone when you're upset, just, um, but that is the goal. Um, motivation, so having your child taking the initiative to wanna do things, to wanna be better at, to be more resilient. Um, it's that drive to get better. Empathy, uh, your capacity to understand others' emotions. Um, just your ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And developmentally, I think it's important to recognize that this skill, developmentally, is not really that easy or that appropriate depending on the age of your kid. Um, they are very focused on themselves right now. I mean, you can feel like you're in a relationship with a narcissist sometimes when you're with your kid, and that's developmentally appropriate because they don't have the capacity to always put themselves in someone else's shoes. And so it can be very frustrating as an adult when you're in that dynamic, that power and control situation. Um, social skills. Um, I mean, obviously that's an important thing as kids start to develop is they need to learn how to navigate these peer relationships and conflicts and how do they diffuse a situation when they're on the playground, when a teacher maybe isn't the one managing, whereas in the classroom there's a little bit more hand-holding because teachers are, are present. Um, so problem-solving skills, navigating social situations, and then not only making friends but maintaining friends. Um, and that can be hard, and especially, you know, as we get out of this COVID world, that has been more challenging for some because um, our social skills have changed. And we went through you know, two years where we were teaching kids to stay away and not to share and not to do some of those things. So it's a kind of important to also recognize the impact that all the things that we've experienced and how it might be impacting your kids. And what impacts one kid is gonna be different than another. Okay. Um, so I think go back to psycho ed, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the first place we have to start is learning a little bit about brain development. I'm gonna teach you guys about the brain and where your child's brain is because that helps us to set the expectation in a developmentally appropriate way. So there's a little clip, do you see it? I think you have to get out of here and go to where? No, it's this. Okay. Calmly, and to speak to you respectfully and kindly the majority of the time is no different than expecting a two month old baby to be walking already. A child's prefrontal cortex is responsible for all of these skills, and it doesn't even begin to develop in their brains until around seven years old, and it isn't fully developed until they're about 25 to 28 years old. So, is it possible that instead of your child's behavior being unreasonable, that it's actually your expectations that are unrealistic? Expecting a child between the ages of two years old and
No, yeah, I was going to say, let's do it again because she talks fast, so we missed the beginning. Seven years old to be able to control their impulses and emotions, to make decisions calmly, and to speak to you respectfully and kindly the majority of the time is no different than expecting a two month old baby to be walking already. A child's prefrontal cortex is responsible for all of these skills, and it doesn't even begin to develop in their brains until around seven years old, and it isn't fully developed until they're about 25 to 28 years old. So, is it possible that instead of your child's behavior being unreasonable, that it's actually your expectations that are unrealistic? Okay. Oh, now we're on to the next reel. Go. It's okay. Uh, there we go. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> it's important to be able to recognize that we've got to set developmental expectations. And I don't know if you picked up, but she was saying that you know, the prefrontal cortex doesn't begin to start to get developed until around seven. So most of us have kids that are younger than seven or just barely seven years old. So that means even if you're dealing with an eight and a nine-year-old, you really can't expect them to be able to use that prefrontal cortex. So what does that mean? I talk all the time about emotional brain versus logical brain. I am big on analogies. I think being visual is very helpful for people. I talk about our body being like a car. We have to fuel our body properly in order to have it move, right? We've got to eat right. We've got to sleep well. We've got to drink water, put the proper fuel into our bodies. You know, if you're allergic to nuts, you don't want to put nuts in your body, your engine will fail. Then you also need to remember that there's a driver and there's a passenger. There's our logical brain and our emotional brain. When one part of the brain is driving, it cannot access the other part. It's physically impossible. So if you are in a highly emotional state, the ability to use logic and reasoning is not possible. So that's helpful when you're in an argument with your spouse or maybe with yourself, recognizing that you're you know, flooded in a situation. But when you are with our highly emotional children, we have to recognize that logic and reasoning is just not possible. I will talk about how do we help the situation, so don't get like very frustrated at this point. Um, but our logical part of our brain is in charge of rational thinking, sequencing, um, pro-con, being able to think about whether or not, you know, if I do this, what will happen next. All of that thinking process happens in that prefrontal cortex. Um, our emotional brain is in our amygdala, our limbic system, and that is in charge of our emotions, the way that we feel, our gut reactions, um, our creativity, being intuitive, all of that comes from that emotional brain. Um, so being able to kind of start to recognize, is my child an emotional brain or a logical brain? And that will then help you to kind of just figure out a path as to, you know, what do I do now? How can I move forward. Um, adults have a greater activity in their frontal lobes than children. Um, adults also have lower activity in their emotional brain. So just innately, adults are less emotional than children. You would hope. So also something to note, 
Um, and this is, I'm being very general right now, um, but on average, the female brain is fully developed around 21 years old, and the average male brain is developed around 25 years old. And I'm not saying that statistic to knock any gender, but more so just to really be able to recognize setting expectations for different kids and being able to realize that a kid's brain, if, it, if they're not fully developed until their mid-20s and we're like right out the gate, you know, seven, eight, nine, we've got a long ways to go, and that can be really hard. Okay. Okay, so here's your steps. This is what you do. This is the goal. You gotta give yourself flexibility. You'll hear me talk about flexibility all the time, anytime you ever see me or hear me up here. Um, but this is the goal. So step one, you're gonna try to recognize when your child's in an emotional place versus a logical place. So I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where your kid's having a meltdown over like a fight with a friend or whatever, and you come in and you're like, it's fine, you're just gonna call them up and talk to them, and they're like, mom, that's so stupid. No, I'm not gonna do that, right? They get really frustrated with you about the way that you handle a situation. It's because you're coming in with logic, and they're in their emotions. It's kind of like you're speaking Spanish and they're speaking French. It's that concrete. So when your kid is having an emotional meltdown, that's not the time to come in with logic. And just kind of noting that will really be helpful. Okay, so then what, right? That's what I always do, what do you mean? Step two, you wanna see their emotions as an opportunity for connection and teaching. So this is hugely important because the way that we interact with our kids is really gonna set the foundation for the type of relationship we have with our kids. If our kids see that every time they get upset, we then get upset, it's going to teach them to be scared of these feelings, that they need to just hide these feelings because otherwise I'm gonna get yelled at, and it's really gonna break down that relationship between you and your child. So really what you wanna be doing is if your kid's in the middle of a meltdown, you wanna you know, stoop down to their level, get eye contact, help them to feel that sense of connection that I'm here for you. No matter, I mean, there are some kids that have full temper tantrums that get aggressive and they can be scary as a parent. Even if you are feeling overwhelmed and flooded and scared in that moment, you wanna show your kid, it's okay, you're safe, I'm here. When you meet someone that's you know, emotionally on the rise and you then become more emotionally on the rise, it's just gonna escalate the situation. So if you meet someone who's starting to become flooded and you can stay calm, you're more inclined to have the situation diffuse. Your kid's screaming, just try whispering versus trying to talk louder. If you talk louder, then they're gonna go louder and it's just gonna become louder and no one's gonna be hearing anything. So that's something to keep in mind, using this opportunity as a connection. Um, also, you know, when you think back to, for some of us, this wasn't that long ago, but that like two, three-year-old time frame where they're having these, you know, epic temper tantrums, and you see the parents that are like, just stop screaming, right? All you're doing, you're not teaching them how to stop screaming, you're just telling them to stop screaming. So you're starting to lay that foundation that even when you're really upset, you need to hide your emotions. You need to stop showing the way that you feel. And that creates a very unhealthy relationship with emotions for your child. Um, so, you know, that's how we kind of create that, I call it the volcano analogy, where you have that teenager that just pushes down, pushes down, pushes down, and then eventually they explode. 
and explosions can be anger, it can be withdrawal, it can be with self-harm, it can be with a whole array of things. So this is, these are the things that we want to think about is we're really trying to teach our kids it's okay to be upset, it's okay to have these feelings. And then the next thing we're going to talk about is, okay, well, how do we handle it? What do we do? Step three, I want you to listen and validate. That can be as simple as kid comes home, I'm so angry, my friend didn't invite me to play on the football field. Wow, you're really angry you didn't get invited to play on the football field. You're literally just repeating the exact same words that they say to you, and you'll be surprised at how often they're like, yeah, I mean, Johnny didn't ask me to play, and he promised he was going to ask me to play today. Johnny didn't ask you to play, and he promised you that he would? Yeah, I mean, how messed up is that? Right, so you don't even have to say very much and you can somehow get a conversation going. Um, being able to validate and help them to say, you know, I see that you're really upset. I hear that you're really frustrated. I know this feels very unfair, doesn't it? Doesn't mean you're saying it's okay. It's just validating the way that they feel. And think about as adults, like how often we feel misunderstood or misheard and we just want that validation. And we're dealing with our little tiny humans that want that even more. So that's um, an important step is to just be able to listen and to validate. Um, number four, labeling your emotions. So, so often um, you'll see I passed, or if you guys saw in the back, there's it's an emotional wheel. I highly encourage everyone to take one of these. Um, the emotional wheel is really helpful because we have a tendency to kind of default to the happy, mad, angry, sad feelings. And really this is an opportunity to teach kids an array of language around feelings. I had a very monumental moment with Mason last night. I thought it was very funny, the timing of it. He was, I thought, annoyed at something that I was doing. And I said, it seems to me like you're irritated. And he goes, that's not even a word, mom. <laughs> And I was like, it is a word. He's like, no, it's not. If it was a word, I would know it. And I was like, oh, he doesn't know the word irritated. So it's you know, our job to be able to teach our kids these words, to be able to help them articulate versus just happy mad. Because what happens is when you don't have bigger vocabulary to truly express yourself, what you're going to do is mad becomes so limiting. And then your kid feels like you really don't understand. You know, so yeah, I'm mad when I drop my ice cream, but I'm way more mad when I'm being excluded on the playground. And if you just say I'm mad, it feels so invalidating because I was mad when I dropped my ice cream yesterday. But this is so much worse than that. So being able to really help your kid and then also understanding within, so this is why I like the emotional wheel, it shows you with each section so anger has all these feelings that are encompassing within anger. So bitter, mad, aggressive, frustrated. And then as you pull out, it gets even bigger. Um, I talk a lot of times about getting your child to feel centered. That's our goal when we're feeling overwhelmed. And as you pull away from center, your emotions get bigger and bigger and bigger. So you're trying to get your child to recognize how far away from being centered am I and then what do I need to do to get to center? And being able to articulate the way that they're feeling can really help them to kind of navigate the intensity that they're experiencing these emotions. Recognizing mad is here, but you know, betrayed and resentful is so much, 
so much bigger than just mad about my ice cream. Um, so, I mean, they make all they make pillows, they make all kinds of emotional wheels now. Um, but even just having you know the one that I handed out today around and being able to, as your kid is upset, once you've had that time to connect and validate, you can pull out the wheel and say, you know, where do you think you fell in this wheel? What do you think you were feeling? Maybe you were feeling three feelings. You know, very often it's not just one emotion. You know, it can be anger and sadness. And how do we have that? A big one that I find that kids have a really hard time understanding is how can I be angry at my parents but also still love them? It feels very conflicting. And so being able to teach your child, even as a parent, I'm allowed to be angry and frustrated with you, but that doesn't mean I don't love you. And being able to start to wrap your head around that is, is kind of confusing at times, but it's important because it's, it's normal. Um, oh. oh, thank you. Um, okay, and then the last step, sorry, is helping your child problem solve with limits. So, right, we just talked all about how our child's brain is not fully developed and that prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. And that's where, you know, problem solving and reasoning all comes into play. So our kids still need our help. This isn't to say, make them feel calm and then, you know, good luck, right? We wanna help them. Um, so your job is to help guide them, but you just need to make sure the timing of when you choose to do that is appropriate. You wanna make sure that your approach is developmentally appropriate. When you see that connection, when you see you get eye contact with your kid and they're starting to regulate, they're breathing a little bit better, that's when you can then say, okay, what do you think we should do about it? Starting with, we'll talk a little bit about communication, but that open-ended question where you're getting your kid to then be able to engage with you to problem solve versus the default of, I'm gonna email your teacher right now and we'll figure out what's going on, right? That's what we're trying to move away from. Um, okay. Um, if your child feels emotionally stuck, right, so you're, they're having this temper tantrum, you've done all the things, you've validated, you've tried to talk about feelings, and you're like, but I want to get to that problem-solving stage, but you can see they're still really flooded, that's when you say, you know what, it seems like right now is not a good time, let's take a break and we'll come back to this. So you have to, as a parent, be able to kind of recognize within yourself, we sometimes have our own emotional reactions where we want to get to the solution or we want to problem solve or we want to you know, make our kid feel better. And they're just not ready for it. They're not there yet. And so being able to say, I, it seems like now is not a good time. Why don't you let me know when you're ready? You know, siblings are fighting. It seems like we need to take some space and I'm here for you. And then we'll talk about whose turn it is to play for Candyland, whatever the situation might be. Um, so recognizing you've got to give yourself a little bit of time. You might not be able to make it to step five every single time. Okay. Anybody have any questions or things? Sure.
how do I help him or teach him that, you know, I mean, this is not, I'm not being emotional. I'm just telling you, hey, you got to put on your shoes. You got to get ready on time. Sure. And um, he gets emotional about it. So first I'm going to start by saying you are being mean. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but to him, it is mean. He doesn't want to put on his shoes. He doesn't want to get dressed. I just went through that with my five-year-old, almost five-year-old this morning. She did not want to get dressed. I was being mean, and that's okay. Our kids are allowed to feel like we're being mean. Our job isn't for, to get them to say, like, mommy's being so nice, she's just trying to help me. I mean, that would be lovely, but that's just not where they are. So what it is, is being able to say, like, I understand you really don't want to get dressed right now. Wouldn't it be fun to just go to school in our socks? Being able to connect on that emotional level, once you get them to be able to be like, yeah, or maybe he'd be like, no, then my feet would hurt. I don't want to go outside with no socks, with no shoes on. It's being able to kind of engage them in a way where you are validating that emotion and then being able to kind of move to, okay, we've got to get out the door. So do you want to put your shoes on or do you want me to help you put your shoes on? But you can't do that until you've got that connection. What might be helpful is coming up with a plan with him, not in the morning, like sometime tomorrow afternoon, where you're like, I've noticed we've had a lot of fights in the morning. What do you think we could do differently so that way the morning just runs a little bit better? We know we need to get dressed, we need to eat breakfast, we need to brush our teeth. So what would be a fun way to do that? And having there be some buy-in on his end to developing the plan. If your kid is very into pictures, then I would say, you know, print out a picture board and have him be able to check off if he's into that or put a sticker. Or maybe it's just the visual cues of all the things that you need to do for the day. Having it be somewhere that he can see it and then hopefully helping you know, the next day, okay, okay, today's gonna be our, day, our first day of doing our new strategy. What did we have to do? I forgot. And seeing if you can kind of make it a little bit more fun versus what I said at the beginning, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? Every day we're having the same fight and every day I'm doing the same thing and wondering why my kid's fighting me on it and calling me mean. So that might be something that would be helpful. And saying, You're, I know it feels like I'm being mean. It's not that I am being mean. It's that it feels like that. So we'll talk about you know, being able to own your own feelings. That's really important. When we're dealing with these like, um, social situations, a friend is going to do something, and it's going to hurt someone else's feelings. But we can't control the friend's behavior. We can only control our own behavior and recognize our feelings are valid no matter what they are. Nobody needs to validate your feelings for them to be okay. And we, as a society, do tend to do that, where we feel like I need someone else to tell me it's okay in order for my feelings to mean anything. Where we're trying to teach our kids, you're allowed to feel however you want to feel. I don't know if that was helpful. Any other? I, there was a couple other hands. Uh, I have a question about the sibling dynamic. Yes. Right. Right.
Right. Not take it personally, but I was like, wow, like, this is like, I've never heard this before. Right. And then like, we went to dinner and he was just mad. Like, right. This the whole time. So he hates you. You're speaking French. He's speaking Spanish. His ability to say, I hate you, is not logical. You saying, oh, well, I pay the mortgage. I do all these things. I, you know, come to all your school events. Are you kidding me? I'm like dad of the year, right? That's your logical brain. His saying, I hate you, is his emotional brain. Is that a normal thing to say? Totally, totally normal. Totally normal. Oh. <laughs> Totally. So, but what you could say is, wow, hate is a big feeling. It kind of hurts my feelings when you say you hate me. It sounds like you're really frustrated. This is where that emotional wheel is helpful because if their language skills are limited into feeling words, then they're going to default to like angry, sad, hate. So it sounds like you're feeling really disappointed that you're not getting ice cream right now. And I can understand that. Wouldn't it be fun to have ice cream before dinner? But then do you think maybe our tummies might hurt? Right now you're starting to kind of put in that logical piece, but you've started with that emotional validation piece. He probably stayed like this the whole time because he was stuck in his emotional brain and doesn't have the capacity to emotionally regulate to be able to get himself out and have this be a little deal emotionally. Instead, it's become a big deal. So I say I use that language a lot, little deal, big deal. It's important to kind of start to teach our kids that. Um, but I wonder if in that situation, if you had, you know, maybe pulled them aside just because you have the twin dynamic, you don't want them feeding off of each other and saying, like, let's go talk about this. And, you know, you get down to his level and you look in his eye and you're like, I'm really sorry, bud. I know that you want ice cream right now and I can understand. I know what it feels like to want something and not be able to have it. But that's the rules. You're not trying to then say, you know what, forget it, go eat ice cream. We're not trying to give them whatever they want. We're just trying to give them that validation and that emotional regulation piece that's missing. So then you can say, like, what do you think would be helpful so you can turn it all around? You know, I talk about, like, I have a reset button. It's imaginary. There are some people that actually have that, like, red button that you can buy at Staples. Um, but let's hit that reset button. What do you think it would look like? And I also think having like thumbs up, okay, push the reset button. It helps them to really be able to cognitively recognize, okay, I'm trying to start over. You know, you're allowed to be frustrated, but let's not let this ruin the whole night. Do you think that we had fun earlier when we went to the movies? What was your favorite part? And now you're kind of moving them through that emotional regulation piece to then be able to be like, okay, let's go back to the table and try to have a good rest of the night. And if he's like, no, I'm just going to sit here with my arms crossed, you can say, it's okay, you're allowed to be disappointed. I appreciate that you're, you know, being in control, you're not yelling and screaming. If you want to be sad at the table because you're upset about ice cream, you're allowed. You're then giving him the okay to be emotional and the power of that pout has been dissolved. Whereas when he's like, dad said no, so I'm going to make his dinner miserable, that's a power struggle right there. So that would be something that might be helpful. Yeah. And the sibling, the twin dynamic is more complicated than the sibling dynamic, but the sibling dynamic is different, difficult because you're dealing with two different types of humans, I'm assuming. 
Um, and so when you can, it might be helpful to kind of separate just so you can kind of deal with the one child who's having the situation without feeling the blame, the shame from the sibling who's so much more well-behaved and more calm and whatever the situation is. Um, if they're having a, a fight together, then it's, okay, you guys have to separate for a little bit. And I, we're, right now we're just going to calm down together. We're going to do some breathing. We're going to um, focus on, is there some music that we should listen to to put us in a better mood? Right now, we're not talking about who had what first. You, you kind of have to stop because you can't go to logic if they're in emotion. And that goes for both of them. So it makes it much more complicated. Totally. Sure. I know that I'm a perfect husband and a perfect dad, and my wife is always wrong, so I'm It's amazing. Um, 100%. She's not here. You know, so she, one of us may not sleep, the other one may be frustrated by being with kids all day. I think that that's something that would be great for another session where we become more aligned. Totally. So, but. Right. So I will say something to note, though, is you guys don't actually have to be in the same brain, you and your spouse. You more so need to be able to recognize when each other are in which part of the brain. So maybe you see that your wife is, you know, extra tired or more irritable because she's been with the kids all day and you're just walking in from a workout or whatever. And you see that, like, she's about to pour gasoline on this fire, right? Maybe you walk up and you'd be like, babe, can you go get me some water? I'll be right back. I, I'll, I got this. So it's that, like, essentially, like you're tapping them in or tapping them out. Maybe you know you're, you know, just not in a good headspace, and you're like, can you go deal with them? Like, I'm not, I mean, I know for me this morning, Madeline wouldn't get dressed. She was throwing a temper tantrum over the something wasn't soft enough. And I was starting to escalate, and I walked downstairs and I was like, I need a break. Can you try to get her dressed? And so then Mike goes up and he tries to deal with it. And he might be in a better headspace because he hasn't been dealing with the conflict that's starting to brew. So being able to also recognize within your partnership, like when to tap in and when to tap out. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Um, have we talked about building? Wait, where am I? Okay. Self-esteem and motivation. So this is really important. Um, I, I want to kind of open up to you guys. How do you know how to help promote self-worth within your kids? Is that something that you think about? Do you have any ideas? Yeah. Not that I want to teach her to put trash out the window, but I am throwing this 
she has learned the importance of when I mistreat others, I am also mistreating. I don't know how she made this connection, but I am mistreating myself. So she's growing in that aspect of my actions towards others affect uh, my own self worth, my own self esteem. Yeah. 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 So what we do, so I have twins, as you know, um, if they're fighting over something, I'm like, take a step back. Instead of throwing or breaking whatever you're building together, if you take a step back, either go stick, like do something by yourself, you know, get a sticker. After five stickers and five stars, you get a reward. I know it's like giving them reward for bad behavior, but it's not really bad behavior because I want them to step back, mm -hmm. take a moment, Think it through, rather than throwing and screaming and hitting. Sure. So that's what we've been doing, and it's been working pretty well. Yeah, you're reinforcing self-regulation. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. I love that. And that, that, you know, is like, oh, well, my self-worth is, if I'm failing, like, I'm appreciating you my family. And another thing we do is we also go around and we talk about, um, like, tell me an instance this week when something happened that didn't go the way you, you wanted and how you dealt with it. So it's like, we, again, you know, we try to emphasize, like, resiliency and flexibility. So that's another way that we, yeah. we try to, like, you know, encourage it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Were you going to share? self-esteem, one thing that I either read or it was a while ago that really resonated was just creating um, moment, small moments of independence where they can do things on their own and really feel like, you know, I tied my shoe and like that's a really big sort of independent thing and creating those moments of independence I've, I've read and heard are linked with like long-term self-esteem and confidence mm -hmm. and really trying to foster those things that might seem Absolutely. So kids that can point to their strengths, it helps them feel good about themselves. Um, and when they have those difficult moments as they get to be bigger and the moments become more challenging, if they can turn inward and feel that they have things that they've accomplished, that they've done for themselves, it really does foster self-esteem. That's, that's the goal. So it's not about always doing things perfectly, as you were saying. It's more about trying things new and feeling confident that I can try new things, and it's okay if it takes a little bit of time. You know, tying our shoes is hard, but how good does it feel when, when we do it? Um, you know, Carol Dweck does a great TED Talk on mindset, so that grit mindset, being able to recognize that we can always get better, that we can always grow as long as we keep trying and working hard, versus that fixed mindset of, well, I suck at this and I'm never going to be able to do it. That being said, it's very important as parents that we recognize that in those moments where we become you know, frustrated and enraged, that we don't use unkind labels to our kids because those labels really do stick with them and can become their inner self-talk. So I can't tell you how often my entire session with a teenager is talking about positive self-talk. 
all they do is say negative things to themselves. They can say positive things about their friends all day long, but for them it's, I'm, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm, I'm all kinds of not nice things. And so when we say things like, God, you're being so lazy, just get off the couch and you know, get your socks on, all of a sudden that I'm lazy becomes part of their inner label. Yeah. Yeah. Of self worth. Um, my challenge, I will just add into it, empathy. It's just something that I, he learned it, and he did, I know his value of the month from now, so he right. does today. And he's like, empathy, 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 like the whole house. And I don't even know what empathy is. So he was trying to explain it to me, but I think this is one of the, for me, the challenges. You have to be empathetic, or you have to know. So really being able to, it doesn't come innately for kids, especially developmentally where they are. Um, so in the moments where they're not in an emotional place, whether you're reading a book or you're watching a movie or, you know, you're, I, I see it with my son. He is very empathetic with animals. He's able to recognize like the way that the dog feels much easier than his sister. Um, but being able to kind of teach that is really important. So saying like, how do you think it felt when, you know, whatever it is that you are watching, being able to say like, I want you to imagine you are that character. What would it feel like? Um, so that's one of the things I was going to talk about is that emotional pain creates maturation. So a lot of times parents have a tendency to be fearful of exposing their kids to things that are unsettling, that might make them sad or might make them angry. And the reality is when you do that, you're telling your kid, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, that they can't handle this. And so it teaches them that they shouldn't you know, watch scary things because they can't handle it versus being able, and again, developmentally appropriate, right? We're not trying to watch horror movies in first grade but more so that it's okay to see a sad scene or to read a book that has a, a bigger concept that we're trying to teach because I'm here, I'm gonna support you through it, you're safe, and we're gonna talk about what it felt like for that person to feel like that. And those are the moments that you start to be able to create and teach this concept of empathy because it isn't an innate thing. So if we shelter our kids too much, then they never have the ability to put themselves in someone else's shoes. You know, if you want to master the monkey bars and you keep falling on your butt every time you do it, then you know what it feels like to try hard and to fail and how frustrating that feels, but then how great it feels when I finally get to the other side. And that sense of accomplishment is huge for that sense of self-esteem and that confidence piece, but now they've also learned the empathy piece because when they see their younger sibling do it or they're seeing a friend do it, they're like, I know what it feels like to fall a couple times. It's okay, let's just keep trying, let's keep doing it. You've got this. 
Um, and that language is hugely important, saying to your kids all the time, you've got this, you can handle this. Because again, you are laying the foundation of that inner self-talk. So if you're saying, you know what, it seems hard, let's just, we'll try again tomorrow. Then that's kind of how they're going to start to think about situations versus let's keep trying. And if we need to come back tomorrow, sure, but at least we've tried a couple times today. Um, okay. The next slide is building frustration tolerance. So that's a huge one, especially with our highly emotional creatures that we have living in our home. Um, the first thing is allow imperfection. So that's kind of piggybacking off what you were saying is that we don't want to teach that they have to be perfect. We want to teach they just have to try. So I really try to encourage effort is so much more important than outcome. I can't tell you how many kids come into my office and because they didn't get an A, even though they studied their butt off, they just feel so terrible about themselves. And I say all the time, outcome is things that we have no control over. You have no control over what the teacher's gonna put on the test, whether or not the teacher remembered that they taught it or they didn't, whether or not you know the person next to you did something that was completely <laughs> distracting. The only thing you have control over is yourself. So focus on your effort. If your effort is as good as you want it to be, then nine out of 10 times the outcome is gonna follow suit. But if we only focus on the outcome, then you're gonna have the kids that things are just easy for them. They're not gonna know how to work hard. It's just gonna be easy for them. And then when they get, you know, as things get you know, harder and harder as they get older and older, whether it's high school or college or in the working world, they're not gonna have that grit, that perseverance because they've just focused on the outcome. They haven't focused on the effort. So that's important, is allowing imperfection. It's not about being perfect, it's about working hard and not caring if it's perfect or imperfect. Um, minimizing pressure. And that's really, really important, especially, I think, in this area. Um, there's so much pressure, and it really does take a toll on these kids, on their self-esteem, on their self-worth. I mean, that's when I see really sad situations where people are coming in because they just feel an immense amount of pressure. Um, and the reality is it's probably going to happen no matter what school they're in. So if at home we can help to minimize the pressure and help to have the foundation be strong and help them know it's okay, that's hugely important. But if the pressure, if you're in a high pressure cooking environment at home and then you're sending them to a school, I mean, you're just gonna have a likely explosion at some point in their life. Um, yeah. Well, it depends. It depends on the kid and it depends on the situation, of course. But, you know, when you have people that have these high pressure environments, it, it, they struggle with flexibility. So it can, you know, whether it's academic pressure, social pressure to be the coolest kid in the class, and then they're doing things that you don't want them to be doing because they care so much about that social acceptance piece. Um, or they're staying up all night long. I mean, I had a girl that would stay up till four o'clock in the morning and she was not willing to change and her parents didn't think it was a problem. So she was getting two to three hours of sleep every night. And there's not much I can do if you're reinforcing that at home, right? So when you're teaching that kind of pressure, there needs to be a sense of your health and wellness is so much more important than that A, right? You, you gotta go to sleep. You gotta take care of yourself. Because if you don't, it's that whole, you know, 
put the mask on you before you put it on your kid when you're flying, if you're not taking care of yourself, it's, you're going to have a fallout. I see it with food, right? The people that are, I have to eat healthy. I, I, my, my parents really want me to eat healthy. I have to eat healthy. And they never learn that sense of, okay, it's okay to have a slice of pizza at a birthday party or you know, the birthday cake or the cookie. They then have so much shame is typically what you st- tend to see is that shame, that internal shame, because they need to be perfect all the time. And that doesn't feel good. No one wants to feel that sense. Yeah. Sure. And I feel like, um, you know, not purposely, but it's a lot on teaching my child. Well, so they, it's, it's a very hard balance, right? Because they, we do have expectations, and that's really not going to change. It's only going to grow, right? As they get older, there's going to be more and more. But it's finding the moments and the ability to self-regulate. So it's doing that affirmation piece where we're feeling good about ourselves, or right before bedtime, being able to find out, you know, carve out five minutes to let's relax. It's been a really stressful day. How do we do some breathing? How do we do some mindfulness? How do we, you know, some guided meditations or they have these stories that the kids can listen to where it's learning how to, I talk a lot about, you want to dim the lights at bedtime. You're not trying to just flip the switch off. When you're trying to flip the switch off, kids can't fall asleep that fast. So we've got to slowly start to turn down the noise, the volume, the energy of the day to be able to then transition for bedtime. So those are all the pieces that kind of help with flexibility. And flexibility can come in all different ways. You know, we're driving to school in the morning and all of a sudden there's a traffic accident and now we know we're going to be late. And instead of being like, oh my God, we're going to be late. We're gonna, you know, it's, oh shoot, we're going to be late today. I didn't know that there was going to be a you know, car accident. So you know, it's okay. We're on time most of the time. It's okay to be late sometimes. We need to make sure that we, I'm going to drive the speed limit. I'm going to make sure that I'm keeping us safe. And if we're late a couple days or a couple times, a couple hours, a couple minutes, it's okay. Um, it's that flexibility piece. And we do it a lot, but we don't always talk it out loud. So being able to say it so our kids recognize when we ourselves are being I'm really angry right now. I need a minute, please. I'm going to you know, go in the bathroom and close the door or go outside. I'll come back in a couple minutes. Or I need to be flexible right now. I was really planning on you know, getting to school on time. And I see that putting our shoes on is a bit of a struggle today. So I have to be flexible right now with you. It's hard for me. I don't like being late. right? But being able to talk it out, you they have a lot of opportunities to really embrace this flexibility. I see we are pretty much out of time. Yeah, unfortunately, we have to reset this um, but there, the rest of the stuff, it's pretty like self-explanatory, normalizing emotions. Then the, the last one is encouraging communication. So it's a couple tips on to how to get your kid to talk a little bit more. Yeah. Good seeing everybody.